0: Father, thank you for these uh, made up stories that Jesus uh, used as a teaching tool, uh, made up stories which teach us something which is true and very important and very profound. As we reflect on the meaning of these two short, pithy parables this morning, uh, please may the teaching intent which the Lord Jesus intended to come home to our hearts and minds. Uh, may the message of them uh, ring deeply and really shape the way that we live and impact our lives and our hearts, we pray. Amen. If I was to ask you to choose one word to summarize what these two parables are about, uh, what would you choose? The word that I would choose is value. It's all about what we value and the value of something. Uh, Some things in life we value highly. Uh, Other things we may not really value at all. But whether high or low, we have gone through that process, nevertheless, of evaluating them. What we've done is uh, we have made a subjective appraisal of something or someone's worth to us. You see, all of us have a value system. We are drawing on it every day in the moment-by-moment decisions that we make. Uh, Differences on how money should be spent often cause tensions in marriages. Of course, there is, at the end of the day, a finite amount of money, and disagreements arise over how the money should be spent. Uh, She says that it should be spent on new furniture, and he says it should be spent on golf clubs. Well, each is coming to a situation with a different value system. Uh, one puts a higher value on a clean, comfortable home, and the other puts a higher value on recreational sport. So a value is a person's subjective appraisal of something's worth to them. God has a value system. God allocates worth to things. And sometimes our value systems don't always align with God's. The value that God attaches to something may not be the same as the value that we would give it. Now who do you think should modify their value system so as to align with the others? Surely if God is the all-wise and the all-knowing creator then surely it is wise to modify our value system to align with his. And that was the purpose of these two short parables that Jesus told. They are a challenge. A challenge to live in the light of the inestimable value of the kingdom of God. They get us to slow down and to ask some timely searching questions of ourselves. Let's look at the first one, the treasure in the field. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Now, in the ancient world, they didn't have, of course, banks like we have today. And to protect their wealth, people would sometimes bury it. If they died suddenly and unexpectedly then the location of the trove may go with them to the grave. And so there it lies, hidden and forgotten. In Jesus' first story, a man is working in the field, and suddenly his spade strikes something metallic. And with stunned disbelief, he starts to uncover this vast treasure trove. And yet he quickly realises that legally the treasure is the property of the person who owns the land. And so he covers it back over and he has the biggest garage sale ever. Verse 44. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and he bought that field. So he sells everything. He sells his house, his prized Toyota Camry, even his signed tiger shirt from the AFL grand final. Nothing will stop him. He has one burning passion, to own the field and therefore the treasure. And people ask him, have you gone out of your mind? What on earth are you doing? But he will not be deflected. And he sells everything and finally he scrapes together enough funds to get title to the land. And finally, the treasure is his. He had found something so valuable that he would give up everything he had so that he could have it. The second story makes the same point. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. So there is this jewellery merchant uh, maybe he has been buying and selling pearls all his life. And then one day, he comes across a pearl that eclipses all others. I'm not a pearl expert, but whatever terms are used to describe a great pearl, he was using them. It's luminescence, it's pearl essence, whatever it be. It was mesmerizing. It's valuable, its value was Priceless to him. Inestimable. He has to have it. Verse 46. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. He also had the mother of all garage sales. When finally he can pay the asking price, he enacts the transaction with shaking hands Finally, my precious is mine. Did you notice that Jesus started each of these two stories with a statement? The kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus is wanting to convey something of the inestimable value of being in the kingdom of God. Now, our Western capitalist society operates on the basis of rates of exchange. If something is overpriced, then generally people say, I'm not going to buy that. That's overpriced. In effect, they're saying, I'm not going to exchange my hard-earned dollars for that. It's not worth it. It's overpriced. So you see, every time we... Enact a purchase transaction, we've done the maths. We have sought an answer to the question, am I willing to give this much money in exchange for that item? Do I value it more than the money I will give for it? Elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus poses the question, what value do you put on your soul Matthew 16 verse 26 Jesus says what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul or what can a man give in exchange for his soul in our modern materialistic secular society the value that people allocate to their souls is dropping What is it these days that people value above all else? It is their body. Medical and fitness professionals have become the high priests of the modern culture. And the gyms are the temples where people go for daily worship. Doesn't it say something that a physician is more valued in our society than a church minister? How valuable is your soul? When I went to more theological college, I remember being there on the first day, and uh, they got us down into groups uh, and had an icebreaker, and uh, the question was, uh, and in our particular group, uh, this one guy posed the question, if your house was burning down, what is the one thing that you would rescue from it. And so um, one guy parked up to break the ice. He says, oh, my laptop. And as quick as a flash, the other guy went back and says, what do you think your wife would say about that? <laughs> now, I think he's assuming his wife was able-bodied and was able to get out as well, but we don't know. But the point was, of course, it wasn't that he physically valued the computer for what it was, but it was the contents on it. His life's work, all these documents, they were irreplaceable. We value most highly the things that cannot be replaced. Our present bodies, they won't last forever. But our soul will. And if we die and we're not in God's kingdom, then our soul is lost forever. It's irreplaceable And it's irredeemable. Uh, Let me be clear. Uh, The point of these two parables is not that we can enter the kingdom of heaven by selling everything we have. Uh, That is not the point of these two parables. We cannot buy our way into God's kingdom. What is the point of these two parables? Remember what we said in the opening comments. It's all about value, the value of the kingdom. We should value the kingdom of God and being in it so highly that we let let nothing stand in the way of us entering it. The question is of course, how do we enter the kingdom of God? Now if you were with us last week, we looked at another parable in Luke chapter 18. It was the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We saw these two characters which Jesus presented to us. The Pharisee, of course, is the very well-to-do religious moral person. And he stands there in the temple, if you remember, declaring his morality and his religious fervor to God. But then the focus of the camera lens turns to the other person, the tax collector, this immoral Uh, quizzling, traitorous uh, person who was ostracized by all in this society. And he was the one, of course, who entered this simple plea. Luke 18, verse 13. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And you remember... Which of these two people, are we told, went home right with God? Which one had saved his soul? The surprise and the shock is that it was not the moral religious Pharisee. It was the corrupt, wretched tax collector. He entered the kingdom of heaven the same way that everybody enters the kingdom of heaven not through morality, not through religious devotion, rather through uttering those humble words. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. So the first challenge that comes from these two parables of Jesus is this. Are you in the kingdom? Have you recognized its supreme value? Or are you valuing other things in your life more highly? Your material wealth, your moralism, your religion, even your pride. Is there anything standing in the way of you uttering those eternal, destiny-changing, humble words? Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Please forgive my sin. Because if there is anything which stands in the way of you uttering those words, then your value system is not aligned with God's value system. You value something else more highly than what God does. You see, the pearl of great price is not a jewel, it's a person, it's Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you have everything. But there is also a second level of challenge from these two parables. Okay, Uh, people enter the kingdom of heaven when they commit themselves to Christ and utter those eternity-changing words, please have mercy on me, a sinner. Yet who, at the point of commitment, fully appreciates the true value of, of what they now have in Christ who truly understands the priceless riches of membership of God's kingdom. Now I would wager with you that some people may have perhaps a 1% appreciation, the rest of us maybe have a a half of a half of a half of a half of a percent appreciation of the true value of the kingdom when we become Christians. We grow in our grasp of the kingdom's inestimable value as we grow as Christians. We start to see with clearer eyes that the best is yet to come. Uh, Did you notice in the parable of the hidden treasure that the man had joy before he had title to the land? Verse 44 again. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is like Treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Do you see? The joy he has is the joy of anticipation. And his joyful anticipation empowers him to sell everything he has. As Christians, we only have a small down payment of everything that Christ promises us. We have forgiveness. We have peace with God. We have his Holy Spirit within us. But we know that we still live in a fallen, fractured, sinful, broken world. And the best is yet to come. And that's what we saw at the end of the kids' talk The best will come when Christ returns, when he removes the sin from the world forever and renews the whole of the creation. We know as Christians that day will come. And therefore in the present we can have a joyful anticipation. And that joyful anticipation fuels our discipleship. It fuels our selling everything we have now. Our valuing of the kingdom as the most prized possession that we could possibly ever have. So in closing, for those of us who are trusting in Christ, the question I'll pose is this. How can we grow more highly in our valuing of the kingdom? And the first answer is, uh, as with all of the Christian life, it starts with repentance. What we say to God is, to be honest, God, my heart is cool. I don't value your kingdom as much as I should. My ambitions are small and my vision is short-sighted. And therefore, we pray that prayer again. Jesus, please forgive me. Forgive me for not valuing you as, though, as I should, the pearl of great price. Jesus, we pray, please give me this deeper joy in you. And the second thing we do after we've repented is we fill our minds with kingdom truth. We feed on the words of God, which directs our gaze, ultimately to the new creation and to heaven. Colossians 3 verse 1 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And the more our minds are set on things above and beyond this life, the more our joy will grow and the more we will be empowered to live radical, self-sacrificial lives for the Lord Jesus in the present because following Jesus does have a cost Matthew 16 verse 24 says this then Jesus said to his disciples if anyone would come after me he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me will find it Jim Elliot, the American missionary, is one of the well-known contemporary examples of this principle in action. Uh, Jim Elliot, of course, was willing to give his life in order to take the gospel to the Alca Indians of the Ecuadorian jungle in 1956. And Jim Elliot could see with crystal clarity the inestimable value of the kingdom of heaven. And that joyful sense of anticipation empowered him to pay ultimately the price of his life. Because that was his value system. His kingdom value system was encapsulated in that famous quote from his diary. And it said this He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose how much do you value the kingdom of heaven? To what extent does that joy drive your self-sacrificial passion to live for Christ in the present? And our prayer, of course, is that this joy will also be that of Eloise as God works graciously in her heart and life and as she grows in her understanding of the inestimable value of the kingdom. And today we have together committed to support Stephen and Sarah in this wonderful endeavour of teaching Eloise all about the pearl of great price, the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for that priceless gift of your Son the one who is the pearl of great price, the one who is of inestimable value. And we know that when we have him, we have everything. Please, we pray, may each of us here have that joyful sense and a growing joyful sense of knowing we have Jesus and that growing sense of joyful anticipation of all that will come ultimately when he returns. And for that to fuel our lives now in the present to live for him with everything we have. Amen.